Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Case Western Reserve University's Weatherhead School of Business. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. It'll be a crowded field on the Republican side as a number of candidates will be seeking to get the nomination to run for U.S. Senate here in Ohio as Senator Rob Portman is stepping down after his two terms. He's decided not to run for re-election. We're going to try to talk to as many of the candidates as possible as we can here on the landscape, beginning with former Ohio State Party Republican chairman, chairperson, I should say, Jane Timken. Jane, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So your career was as a lawyer. What led you into the world of politics? Sure. Um, I practiced law in Canton, Ohio for several years, um, but I'm not the kind of person that can sit on the sidelines. And back in 2010, um, I really wanted to get more involved. Uh, It was during the Obama administration. I saw a lot of things going in the wrong direction in our country, and I wanted to step up and make a difference. Uh, I became the vice chair of the Stark County Republican Party. At the time, Stark County was mostly controlled by Democrats. We started recruiting really Really good Republican candidates who are actually qualified for the jobs. Um, and I'm proud to say that Stark County is a Republican dominated county. And again, when I stepped up to be chair of the Republican Party, I saw the party going in the wrong direction. It had pulled away from our nominee, Donald Trump. And I saw from the inside, uh, being a vice chair of the Star County Republican Party, um, how the party sh- was not working. And so I stepped up again with the backing of President Trump to be the chair of the Ohio Republican Party. And I turned it into a well-oiled machine and united a lot of Republicans to deliver results that were you know, statewide races that we swept in 2018 and proudly helped deliver Ohio for President Trump by eight and a half points in 2020. And now with Senator Portman uh, announcing that he was not seeking re-election, I couldn't sit on the sidelines again with what's happening in our country, whether it's Afghanistan, inflation, crime, the border, uh, huge amounts of spending coming out of Washington. Um, People who don't care about America are making these decisions, and I'm in this to fight for America first. We'll talk about some of those issues, but before we dive into that, I'm curious, is there any particular political figures you admire or see as role models? Well, I've always been, as a young kid, an admirer of Ronald Reagan. Um, I I think he was standing up strong for our country, a great communicator and a great communicator of our conservative cause and a fighter for our liberty and freedom. Um, So that's someone who I, I clearly admire. In this full field, what do you understand about the needs of voters in Ohio that the other candidates from your party don't quite get? Well, as chair of the party, I put 150,000 miles in two cars riding around the state of Ohio, spending time talking to our families, our communities and our businesses. Uh, It is important if you're going to represent the state of Ohio that you have a real understanding of the diverse aspects of Ohio and the needs of our communities. And and so I think that makes me a unique candidate. I'm the only one that's been in the trenches fighting for Ohio. I'm the only one that has universal support across the state of Ohio. And I'm the only one that's proven that I can stand up and deliver. And that's why I'm going to be the best senator for Ohio. Is it difficult to reconcile all the different needs the state has? We have this huge agricultural base and you have places like Cleveland and Columbus, which are much more urban and have a different set of problems and issues. Is it hard to try to coalesce all that together and figure out what kind of plans we need that would make the whole state effective? 
Well, I think it's the beauty of Ohio. We're blessed uh, that we have a thriving agricultural industry um, that has a $100 billion impact in Ohio. Uh, our agricultural industry is phenomenal and they do great work and produce a lot for Ohioans and the country and abroad. Um, Ohio has always been a great manufacturing-based state, and we need to be champions for Ohio manufacturers. And we have great urban cities. Um, and But also, don't forget about the smaller towns. I was just in Hamilton, um, where they have a thriving downtown. Um, and I was in Springfield a week ago, um, where there's real investments in a lot of these smaller urban cities. Um, and that's part of the vibrancy of this state. We have a lot going for us here in Ohio, and I plan to continue to fight to make Ohio a fantastic place. And I'll do whatever I can to always put Ohio first in the U.S. Senate. Former President Trump supported your candidacy for the state chairman position. How important is that endorsement going to be? Obviously, all the candidates seem to be looking for it. Is it something that is essential or how do you feel about that? Sure. Well, as you know, he supported me to be chair of the Republican Party. Uh, and because he knew me as someone who was a fighter and would stand up, um, and I obviously delivered for him in Ohio. Um, and I would welcome his endorsement. Uh, and But I'm always out every day seeking the endorsement and support of Ohioans. They're the ones that decide this race. And um, I'm proud to say that I have a broad support across the state of Ohio. Uh, I have the endorsement of over 160 Republican leaders in the state. And um, I'm the only campaign that has donor support in all 88 counties. And the vast majority, 84% of my donations are from Ohioans. So people trust my leadership. And uh, I think they're the ones who uh, are in critically important in this race. Predicting how voters will react is always a difficult thing to do. But is there the possibility that if Mr. Trump's name isn't on the ballot, that many of these people who are his supporters may not come out and vote? Well, I, you know, that's a narrative there, but I really think that, you know, as part as party chair, I watched the transformation of Ohioans. Um, we saw it in 2016. We saw it in 2020. Um, the Republican Party is now the party of the working class. We're the party that's standing up for these jobs, for people's individual freedoms, for their rights, for their families. And the Democrats have moved so far left. They're so progressive. And my likely opponent, uh, Tim Ryan, is lockstep with Nancy Pelosi these days. And she's being push further left. You see Joe Biden's policies. They're, you know, basically uh, AOC's policies. Ohioans don't want that. And I see a lot of these folks staying with the Republican leadership because it has delivered for them. And they know that Republicans like me are going to be up there fighting for them. And if elected, what would be some of your first priorities as a U.S. Senator? Well, I, I, I hear it every day. It's about jobs. It's about the economy. Um, we are go we have to get our economic situation turned around. Right now, we are in a situation where everywhere I, I go in the state of Ohio, the people can't find enough people to get back to work. So we need people back to work. Um, we need to make a sound fiscal judgments on um, taxes, which are likely to rise if the Democrats pass this $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill. Um, we need to make sure that our business 
businesses can thrive and so that, that we, they continue to hire. Um, but one thing that I'm focused on, and this would dovetail what is happening in Ohio with tech cred, I think that we really need to be focused on education and training our students for the jobs of the future. Um, there's great opportunities with the businesses that we have here in Ohio to match those businesses with our community colleges and our high schools and have them go in and invest in those schools and then bring kids along, train them, and then actually hire them. I've had conversations with people doing this on a national basis. I think this is something that could be very powerful for the federal government to give tax credits to those businesses that actually accomplish that goal, train those students, hire them, and then get a tax credit for doing it. I see it as a win-win. Um, if jobs are, you know, are so important to people and their livelihoods, it's part of the American dream, but a good education as well. We need education reform, I think, on a national level. I, I'm traveling around the state of Ohio listening to parents talk about what's happening in their schools, and I applaud those who are stepping up to run for school board and others. Uh, I, I continue to see the devastation of the opioid epidemic, and I would like to continue Senator Portman's fight uh, against the uh, the tragedy of our opioid addiction here in Ohio. So we need to secure the border because that's where the drugs are coming in. And we need to make sure that we're getting people into treatment and that we are, you know, having responsible um, people step up and take care of what's happening with our epidemic. And we need to stand up for our police officers. Crime is rampant all across this country and especially in our cities. Um, I will always back the blue and we need to make sure that our police officers have the resources they need to be an effective police force. As we have our conversation, the discussion is starting about raising the uh, the debt ceiling. And Republicans are saying they don't want to raise the debt ceiling. They don't want to pay for uh, programs that the Democrats are proposing that they feel are extravagant. And the Democrats are saying we're merely paying the bill for the Trump administration who spent a lot of money and but didn't raise the money because of tax cuts. How do you feel about raising the debt ceiling at this time? Huh. Well, I think it's very it's typical Nancy Pelosi to deflect um, when she is spearheading five trillion dollars worth of spending and wants to go ahead and raise the debt ceiling. Uh, it, it, it's it's just unconscionable. Uh, I am a fiscal conservative. Five trillion dollars between the infrastructure bill and the three and a half trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill, spending money we do not have um, is the wrong direction for our country. You're seeing the effects of uh, spending from Washington, D.C. now with inflation out of control. Um, wages may be rising, but people are paying more at the gas pump, more at the grocery store. Uh, this is the exact wrong fiscal policy for our country. I, I would not vote to raise the debt ceiling. The Democrats need to be responsible for their push for this, this out of control spending. It is long-term um, bad pol fiscal policy for this country, and it puts us in a very untenable situation where we are in, we can't afford this and this debt needs to stop. When it comes to infrastructure, though, what's happened? It seems like we've stopped investing in infrastructure in this country and it's fallen behind. What are we going to do? Well, look, I, th I think that we do need to invest in our infrastructure. My position as a fiscal conservative is that we need to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. We need to make sure that we're spending the money on actually what the average person calls infrastructure, which is roads and bridges and broadband. Um, but if you look at the $1.5 trillion uh, inf infrastructure bill, that's proposed, it has all sorts of additional social 
programs and um, progressive policy programs in there that are not what we would call infrastructure. And so I, I think the American people want real infrastructure. They don't want all of these progressive policies. Uh, I'm going to be the fighter in the United States Senate to stand up as a fiscal conservative, to be a good steward of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars, because it's the American people's money. It's not Nancy Pelosi's money. Jane Timken joins us for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Case Western Reserve University's Weatherhead School of Business. I'm Dan Paletta. Ms. Timken, what do we do to make Ohio even more competitive a state to attract investment? I know you've talked about education and that that role and its importance in, in getting people to invest in Ohio, but what are some other things we need to do to try to convince people that this is a state worth investing in and, and starting businesses here and, and being willing to put some dollars into the state? Well, I, you know, obviously, I think tax policy influences a lot of business decisions, uh, whether to move into a state. Uh, we need to make sure that we have uh, business friendly policies uh, that encourage growth in businesses. Uh, but we have fantastic resources in the state of Ohio. We have wonderful universities that are actually can produce some really great uh, new technology that I think should stay in the in the in Ohio. Um, but our our resources here in Ohio, whether it's our water, our, our transportation system, makes it ideal for businesses to move here. You're seeing great growth in the central parts of Ohio, um, but I'd like it to be more even across the state. Uh, we have fantastic workers that have training and skills, but we need to do better at that. Um, we need to also encourage the students that go to schools in Ohio to stay in Ohio. So some of those policies I'd like to start to work on um, because I think Ohio has great potential uh, to be uh, in the top tier, uh, if not number one, uh, in terms of jobs and growth and the economy and a great place to live. We often talk about investment in terms of plants and manufacturing, which is certainly very important here in the state of Ohio. But are, are there things the federal government can do to help small businesses, in your opinion, or is that uh, let the marketplace decide kind of thing? Well, you know, I think the the most important thing for small businesses, and I talk to them, is uh, and what I applaud President Trump for and his his policies was that for every new reg, they got rid of two. Small businesses don't have an army of lawyers and accountants to uh, make sure they're in compliance with the enormous amount of federal regulation. Uh, that's number one. Uh, and number two is the tax policies. Uh, a lot of small businesses uh, are really paying more taxes in their, than I think they should. Um, we should encourage more entrepreneurship um, with uh, policies that encourage that by lessening their tax burden. Uh, I, but as we go through this, we need to make sure that um, these businesses are supported by their their senator and that we are not making it so that they are, we're hampering growth in businesses. Uh, it, too often, so many people start a business, they get shut down because they're not in compliance or they find it very difficult to even uh, weed through the red tape to get up, up and going. Uh, we need to encourage them. They are the ones that are the engine of our economy. They are the ones that are on the front lines hiring people, especially now that we are in this situation where we need people back to work. We need to stop the federal payments to, for people to stay home. Look, when we were in the pandemic, people should have gotten help no doubt about it. But I think we're at the point now where there's so many job openings, we need people to get back to work and that'll help some of our small businesses as well. 
on the international front. Afghanistan is certainly top of mind. You've been very vocal in your criticism of President Biden calling for him to either be impeached or resign. The deal that President Trump, though, negotiated with the Taliban without the Afghan government, do you think that, though, might have emboldened the Taliban thinking if we just wait when the Americans leave that we'll just take over? All I can tell you is I know for sure Donald Trump would never have left American citizens in Afghanistan, and he would never have failed the American citizens the way that Joe Biden did. Uh, Donald Trump would never have left our military equipment uh, for to, into the hands of the Taliban, some 600,000 guns, planes, tanks. Um, night goggle, night vision goggles, all of these things are now in the hands of the, of the Taliban who are uh, creating a terrorist haven that threatens not only the United States, but the world. Uh, this was bad policy on the Biden administration. And we all can agree that the war in Afghanistan was going on too long, but the execution was what Joe Biden failed on. This does lead to a question, though. Uh, our colleagues at the Plain Dealer had a recent story in which they talked to several soldiers who fought in the Afghanistan conflict. And a couple of them said, and I've heard this from other soldiers as well, that while they were surprised at how quickly Afghanistan fell, they were not surprised at how quickly the Afghanistan army seemed to just abandon their posts and leave their weapons behind, which begs the question, so if we stay another month or another three months, do they? is that going to make any difference? Are they still going to basically bail out on their responsibility? Well, I think the, the Taliban under uh, President Trump knew that if they rose up and harmed any American or continued their terrorist activities under his watch, there would be severe consequences. Um, when we have weak foreign policy from Joe Biden, these are the consequences. The Afghan army probably felt not supported. And I'll give you the example. Why did we close down the Bagram Air Force Base? We could have continued to use that to give the Afghan army cover. We, that was a number one mistake from Joe Biden. But if we continue to have weak policies that embolden terrorists, terrorists like the Taliban and others, then we are putting not only the United States at risk and United States citizens at risk, but the world at risk. Finally, let's turn to China for a moment. Obviously, they're a power that's growing. Are there things we can do to try to combat them? And I don't mean that in a military sense, although hopefully it never comes to that. But I mean, to try to stay even with them or you know, keep it at, keep it at bay. Well, for, for too long, China has been taking advantage of the United States. Uh, they have been stealing our technology. They have been dumping product into the United States at reduced rates, affecting jobs here in the United States. Um, we need, President Trump did it right. We need to stand up to China. Uh, he was rene renegoti he renegotiated trade deals that allowed our farmers here in Ohio to sell soybean over to China. Um, these were the right policies to stand up to China. We cannot continue to allow China to uh, steal our intellectual property and our technology. And we must always stand up and compete with China and not allow them to cheat on the world stage. Before we close, I have to ask you a non-political question. I have to express admiration for you. You played rugby in college? Yes, I did. I like to say rugby is a tough sport. No pads, no helmets, and lots of mud, just like politics. <laughs> That's great. I admire anybody who could play that sport. Jane Timken, we're glad fun. you could join us today on The Landscape. Great pleasure having you with us today. Thank you. Jane Timken joined us for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. She is one of the candidates running for the Republican nomination to run for United States Senate here in the state of Ohio. We're glad you could join us on behalf of our producer, Cody Smith. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. 